We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Yeah, I just got a little bit of a video of it before I came in here, and it just looked like there was some penetration there off our left side, and and they pinched down. Um, So it looked like there was an opportunity, but you know, at the end of the day, I trust him, and uh, and I'll trust him again when we're in that situation again. So, um, you know, uh, take Josh Allen, um, as you said, Sal, ten times out of ten. So give them the credit; they made the play they had to make uh, when the game was on the line. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Sean McDermott in his post-game press conference talking about the decision to call a quarterback sneak rather than kick a game-tying field goal in the waning seconds of Monday Night Football. Chris, BuffaloBills.com? Yeah, post-game presser, BuffaloBills.com. Isn't that just a... It's just a gut punch, right? Yeah. The The way it ends hurts... More than this is one of those football games where your team did a lot of things well, but the way it ended, I, I just oh, it's excruciating, right? Yeah, it's tough to lose like that. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to waste any of our listeners. We're going to jump right into this. Our week six recap: the Tennessee Titans thirty-four, the Buffalo Bills thirty-one. Chris, I need some fresh beers on this table. Stats of the game. 
Josh Allen, 35-47, good for 74%, 353 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, three sacks, a 107.8 rating. Ryan Tannehill, 18-29, 62%, 216 yards, no touchdowns, one rushing touchdown and one interception, a 70.5 rating. Bill's red zone offense, 2-5. of five. They are 55.1 on the season, good for 26th in the NFL. Stephon Diggs, team high in targets. He was 9 of 11, 89 yards, one touchdown. Derrick Henry minus the 76-yard touchdown run, 3.5 yards per carry on 19 attempts. The Bills running backs, 13 carries, 51 yards, just two rushing first downs, just 3.4 yards per target receiving. Wide receiver A.J. Brown, 9 of 7 for 91 yards. Uh, 9 targets, 7 receptions, 91 yards. F- 4 receptions on 5 targets for 69 yards, which was nearly all of Tannehill's passing yards out more than 10 yards downfield in the middle of the field between 10 and 15 yards. And Spencer Brown, lowest graded offensive lineman in both pass protection and run blocking efficiency. <sighs> Where to start? Chris, first of all, this game was the first game that it was the first game that I actually held a party for. Yeah, I was there for half of it, which was interesting. Like, it it was weird. It was weird. It felt strange being back in my own home watching a Bills football game. And it's a weeknight. It's just it's crazy. Shout out to everybody who came out. Uh, Jeff, Mike Partham, Jeff's. You you met Jeff now for the first time. Yeah, I did. He's an interesting character. He's a nice dude. He's incredibly stoic, which almost drives me crazy to a certain extent because, Chris, I'm manic. Well, I also like that he introduced himself to me because you just assume I already know everybody you've ever met in time. <laughs> or I just don't care to introduce anybody because I don't care if you guys talk to each other. I don't care if any of you become friends. I don't care if you speak to each other. None of it matters to me. We're all in the same room. I'm not, listen, I'm not your father. Talk to each other or don't. Now, Jeff is so stoic during Bill's games that it actually had a calming effect on me, which me and my wife talked about later on in the evening. It was hilarious because she's like, usually she's like, I expected you to throw furniture. And yet you were busy talking to Jeff about the nuances, the game and this and that. It, he's a son of a bitch, that Jeff. First of all, if I'm going to start the Mike Partham also, I, w- I want to give him credit because he showed up with those what, Buffalo wing chips. Those I didn't clutch. see him. Those are clutch. The buffaloing ruffles. Because again, Chris, we know the rule on ruffles. If you bring a smooth chip into my house, I will punt it out the back door like Brother Bill. There you go. <laughs> it starts with the pregame. I mean, really, ESPN. I turn on the TV. I'm getting everything set up down in my basement. And I, I look and I see Jeff Fisher's stupid face on my TV. And I do a double take. I'm like, I go, wait, what? What are they talking the, the losing his coach in NFL history is on my TV because of ESPN giving an in-depth breakdown of how the home run throwback happened. I saw that and immediately tweeted out that I was rescinding my apology for the Sherman March to the Sea joke last week during our, our preview podcast. I mean, how dare you, Jeff Fisher, me? Well, I'm over here trying to live my best life. I, I like the fact that you came. Yeah, I showed up for a half. That's a win. 
Yeah. Mark showed up after bowling with snack cakes, some of the finest specialty mac and cheese Western New York has to offer from Mooney's, and Bud Light Chilada. I haven't had any of that yet. I gotta try it. It's like a war crime in a can. It It's like tomato soup that's been carbonated, had a lime tossed into it, and then someone dumped one of the shittiest beers on earth. Just kind of dumped it in for good measure. It truly belongs on the Mount Rushmore of shitty beverages, right next to eggnog seltzer, which I just found out this weekend is a thing that exists, also made by Bud Light. And I have to imagine the only other thing up there would be the wine from back in the 80s in Europe that those Austrian guys were putting antifreeze in that made people go blind. That's where those all three of those things belong on the mountain of awful beverages. I mean, eggnog seltzer, tomato soup, beer. At what point can we as a nation just have Bud Light brought up on charges? Like, is this... It, it, I feel like if jaywalking is a crime that I have to pay real American dollars for, then some of this stuff that Bud Light is putting out of the market, that has to be against the law somewhere, right? Yeah, I don't know how... Uh like who's I've done it before when I lived in Atlanta where uh, you can sign up and do market research and I've done like beer tasting it's like how does that get to a focus group and the consensus is yeah can it and shelf it I'll tell you how they did it in Tonawanda I don't know. I mean, honestly, I would drink the antifreeze wine before I ever taste that swill again. I mean, guys, you have to be able to put these guys on trial for this nonsense, right? Call in if you know. Overall, the game went well, and it wasn't without some of my more, uh, I'll call it, colorful commentary. I mean, uh, maybe some of the Titans players, uh, some of the situations they find. I mean, you just had to, it's one of those things you have to be there for. It's really all part of the ambiance of watching a game with me. And yet, at its conclusion, I was left confused and incredibly frustrated. Now, to some of you who interacted with me on Twitter last night, immediately following the game, I apologize because I know I can become pretty vitrolic. And I think I've, I think I've gotten better Right about staying off social media until I've gotten my frustration in check. No, I, I think I've stopped burning our account down mid-game. I that you done have a good job of staying off my phone. That you have. I let the I let the string play out. To some of you who came across me last night in social media interactions, I apologize. But to most of you, including the guy who looked like a shitty high school teacher with a bad mustache trying to lecture me about professionalism and having, quote-unquote, better takes if I want to, quote-unquote, make it. He must not listen to the show, because if he did, he'd know that I'm up here finger-quoting like Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. It sounds like you're talking about Ryan Sullivan. I mean, maybe I don't have a firm grip on my emotions following sporting events. Maybe I don't get sober before taking to Twitter. Maybe I don't care what people think about us. I mean, that guy and anybody else who feels like him can kick rocks. I'm not sorry, and I'll do it again. (laughs) I will be back. (sighs) But guys, last night, it was just, it was a roller coaster of emotions. It was an up and down game. And yet, even the the way it ended doesn't, doesn't detract from what this game was. 
I mean, for me, it starts, first of all, this concept of the defensive effort and the eventual collapse. This is where I, in the first half, the Buffalo Bills did a great job drumming up pressure on Ryan Tannehill. And, as I predicted would be necessary last week, getting their defensive ends at or behind the line of scrimmage to disrupt Derrick Henry's ability to start to taxi down the runway for takeoff down the field. I was really impressed, right? Really impressed with the physicality that I saw from a number of players. Tremaine Edmonds had a big tackle for loss. Star Latule, to the eye test, despite only being credited with a single pressure and one tackle, was disruptive over the course of the whole game allowing Ed Oliver to get into the backfield and be all over Tannehill. I think he led the team in pressures. And our defensive backs were particularly aggressive. That stop by, what was it, Micah Hyde? He literally just stood on the track. I mean, he sold out and did the equivalent of stepping in front of a car in order to stop Derrick Henry from breaking another long run. I mean, my heart was in my throat when I watched it happen live. Because it's just, Jesus, man, get out of there. You, Chris, do you know the balls that it takes to stare down a wrecking ball, knowing that you're going to get hit by something that outweighs you, it's moving faster than you, but you're going to hang in the pocket and just take the hit? I mean, does, does that happen in hockey at all? Not really. No. Unless you have your head down. <laughs> so to know that this guy saw it coming and literally just threw himself into it, I just... Oh. And then Teron Johnson, to his credit, highly involved, despite being so diminutive in size. Credited with a run stop of his own, along with four assists on other tackles. It was clear they came out with an intent to once again try to match the physicality of the Titans up front. And in all, I think our defensive line played a pretty good game in terms of what we did against the run. I was a little disappointed in the fact that the Buffalo Bills went up against this team, you know, we talk about numbers and we talk about pressure and we talk about how great our defensive ends are doing. And then you see that the Jets sacked Tannehill seven times. And yet we didn't get close enough to actually hit him. Like, that's that's disappointing. That's a miss for me. <sighs> but the job that they did against Derrick Henry, it showed the numbers because he has the long touchdown run in the first half. But outside of that, our team, like when we didn't afford them short fields to work with and we made the Titans march down the whole field, we held Derrick Henry in check. I mean, outside of that, our team did to a man a phenomenal job stepping up to the plate and answering the bell with against this incredibly physical rushing attack from the Titans with a boatload of 12 personnel, as evidenced by their tight end snap counts, which was something we predicted last week. Outside of that one run off the right end for his touchdown, his yardage along the entire rest of the offensive line was held to just single digits. And I'm going to open a fresh beer to that because I feel like that's worth celebrating. Unfortunately, that aggression in the front seven, it came back to bite us in the ass. And that's something that I have to shake my head at for Leslie Frazier. I mean, at the top of the show... I mentioned A.J. Brown's yardage. Our linebackers were essentially torn between playing the pass and playing the run. And in the second half, their play-action passing got rolling to a point where all four of his second-half receptions went for first downs. One of them on a fourth down during a drive that would inevitably become a touchdown. I mean, it's just, 
it's just an absolute killer. It really was like watching a boxing match between their offense and our defense. In the early goings, the Titans used Henry the way you would use a left jab and kind of some hooks to the body. Just kind of prodding the bills, forcing us to pay attention to it. And then, you know, you land a surprise knockdown with the busted run fit. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but a little uncalled, a little uncalled holding. But I guess we're not supposed to, I guess we're not supposed to be mad about that. Then in the second half, with that jab firmly entrenched in our play callers' minds, they start throwing the hooks and uppercuts off the jab that caught us completely off guard. And for some reason, we didn't have the wherewithal to adjust. In that way, A.J. Brown ate us alive in the second half off play-action passing. He sustained drives. He made big plays when he was called on. It's just... Uh, it, it's it's gut-wrenching to know that they played you the way that you knew they were going to play you coming into this game. The same way they played you last time around. And you still couldn't do anything about it. I mean, at the end, that was our undoing. A physical team that played its hand well enough to keep our hyper-talented offense on the sidelines for long stretches late in the game and inevitably just wore our defense down despite not having an overwhelmingly impressive offensive performance by anybody on the roster besides Henry. It stings. And I'm certain it's something that the Bills are going to talk about a lot when they get back from the bye in terms of how to set themselves up to avoid a recurrence of it down the stretch. Because teams are absolutely taking notes at this point on our weaknesses. But Chris, how many teams have a Derrick Henry? One, Tennessee. Yeah. So when you look over the course of this, like the, 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 the game plan, like I want to be pissed off about all this. I want to rant and scream into the microphone about how frustrated I am. How many teams have a player the caliber of Derrick Henry in their backfield? Not a lot. I think maybe the Colts might be the only team we play for the rest of the year. Maybe if you really like Damian Harris and you really think he's, you know, he's an X factor, that he's an ascending running back talent, maybe you can convince me that he is like flirting with the fringes of being an impact running back. But who else? No, I don't think there's anybody else in the league other than Derek. Nobody in the league plays the same way that Derrick Henry plays no. the running back position. And the, that's, I guess, the thing that I, I think a lot of people are pissed off today. And a lot of people are expecting fire and brimstone. They want me to come out here and scream and yell. What it comes down to is we played a very different test from what we faced last Sunday. Last Sunday, it was all about controlling the quarterback. This week, it was all about controlling physicality from top to bottom. And we found out that we're a team that can get punched in the mouth. We can get big boyed. And that's concerning, and we're going to have to address it. But we have time to do so. And for that reason, I'm I'm not going to lose it. Well, I mean, we'll talk about more of that in a minute. On the offensive side of the ball, Things went down a pretty similar path. We were churning early while putting up 20 points on the board in the first half. Yet, we bogged down after halftime and scored just 11 points in the final 30 minutes. Now, some of that's because they kept the ball out of our hands. And some of that's just because we didn't execute. One of the more frustrating developments to come out of that 
was while I understand what Dable was trying to do to a certain extent in terms of a rushing attack, too many drives that didn't yield points or meaningful time of possession started with mediocre to just fucking flat out horrible rushing attempts. I mean, Chris, the the best field goal drive to open the second half. Better miss. I was on my way to work. We start the half with five straight completions and three plays of more than nine yards through the air for Allen. And then a Singletary rush and an Allen rush attempt later, we're kicking a field goal because Beasley can't catch a pass that was thrown while Josh Allen was under duress. The touchdown drive on the ensuing possession, Moss rushes twice for nine yards, then a false start backs us up, and now it's third and six on your own 29, and you're looking at a potential punt. Six straight pass attempts later, you're on your opponent's one-yard line, only to get stuffed again on an Allen Rush attempt up the middle. His second attempt of the game, and something that I'm going to circle back to here at the end of this show. Do you see a pattern developing, Chris? No. I mean, it's a pass to Sweeney that gets us in the end zone, not a running play. The Bills' offensive line isn't one of the NFL's better units in terms of rushing the ball. We all know that. And I don't need to waterboard you with the fine metrics on the subject. But son of a bitch, I mean, they have to figure out how. When teams are playing physically against them in the front seven to manufacture a rushing presence. I'm not saying you have to run for 140 yards. I'm saying you have to make your running game a factor and not a detriment to the rest of your offense. It's clear that Allen is one of the NFL's most ridiculous arms, and that allows him to create absolute magic for the Bills' offense. Let that throw when he's on the run last night. It just... He makes so many things happen for us. He does it every week to a point where we're no longer blown away by it. And Chris, do you find yourself getting all giddy when he does that? Does that now? I feel like we've seen it so many times. We just we've come to expect it. I get giddy when it happens because I'm glad that I get to see that for my team because I haven't been able to see that for my adult life as a Bills fan. But, but the Tennessee defense showed us last night that even one of the NFL's poorest pass-protecting units that lost multiple starters over the course of the game can keep the lid on our downfield passing if they scheme it well enough and if they play physically enough in the front seven. It's, it, it, there's a real frustration at this point because our offensive line clearly cannot handle physicality. But in terms of their overall execution, I mean, how the hell can you be mad at this? How crazy is it that you can look at a box score and see that your quarterback threw more than 70% completion percentage, more than 300 yards, and yet you still feel like we left meat on the bone in terms of what we could have accomplished? That's absurd, right? Yeah, there's a lot of things that could have gone the other way. Offense, defense, special teams. Chris, I can still remember the days of us pining for one quarterback who could throw one single 300-yard game. To the point where I lost a Seagram's bet to you week one last year against the Jets. Josh Allen's throwing the ball all over the place, and I said, there's no way he's going to get a 300-yard game. And you laughed and said, I'll put a Seagram's on it. What, I had that open halfway through the fourth quarter? Yeah, probably. Sounds about right. And I didn't even take the bet because I doubted Josh, but just because it seemed like an accomplishment so Herculean for somebody wearing a Bills jersey that it just wouldn't happen. It's also crazy to me that some teams, 
many of them in our own division, would cream themselves if they had three wide receivers finish with more than 80 yards receiving the way we did last night. Beasley, true to Allen and Dable's word, he had his, he had his breakout game, right? Yeah. Everyone kept saying, oh, Beasley's disgruntled, he's this, he's that, he's not getting the ball, he's going to become a problem. It was a Beasley game. Beasley had a great night. I mean, and you look at it, though. He took advantage of rookie Caleb Fairley and someone named, something named Jack Rabbit Jenkins. Your name is Jack Rabbit. He was obviously conceived during Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Roadkill might be more like it. I mean, he allowed a 100% catch, catch percentage against him for 54 yards and two touchdowns in coverage. And the rookie gave up another 62 and a team-high 37 yards after the catch. The two of them got absolutely abused, and Beasley was a huge part of that. And yet we still feel like we could have had more from the wide receiver core, when the reality is they had a solid game overall, as, is our, as did our quarterback. I mean, if I had to point to anybody who didn't carry their weight aside from the running backs, Spencer Brown, I think, kind of had a, like, welcome to the NFL game. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. He finally got some actual competition in Bud Dupree. I mean, he well, that's it. He goes up against Bud Dupree, and I mean, this is ugly, like, like home alone. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. That, that's the kind of ugly we're talking about. Multiple pressures allowed to the point where they had to start sliding tight end help his way, which didn't do us any favors offensively when in the second half, Dawson Knox goes out of the game. And now you have to put in Tommy Sweeney, but now Tommy Sweeney can't even go out for routes because he's also chipping in to help make sure that Spencer Brown isn't being a liability. He has the false start late in the game that puts us in a third and 12 hole that could have derailed our entire drive. Before Beasley Beasley's just wide open in the end zone for a touchdown. Even with that, he did have some bright moments, right? I you, I pointed out to you and Jeff, the play where the Tennessee pass rusher, I don't know who it is, comes off the edge, and Moss meets him in the backfield and holds him up, slows him down. Allen's getting ready to uncork a throw, okay? And Brown who showed awareness that was the polar opposite of that douchebag Austin Jackson down in Miami. I mean, you've seen the meme now, right? I have not. Where Austin Jackson is eight yards downfield with his hand over his eyes, like he's like like a fat dude at the beach looking for an ice cream stand. Like, well, he, no, he's he looking was, for somebody to block? He was looking for those, my, those football players that drowned. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, his quarterback is getting harassed in the pocket. And he has no idea where he's supposed to be. Spencer Brown showed a level of awareness that he's like, okay, I don't have any work. Let me slide over here. He sees Moss engage with the dude and just cleans this dude out. Destroys the defensive player. And then turns around looking for more. Looking for more work. I love that. I love that in my offensive lineman. So... Because I mean, that's a thing you can't teach. You just have to hope your guy has it. And Brown has showed us that he does. So even with his rough night, I'm not that upset. I mean, the reality is, in his two starts prior to this game, Brown hasn't faced any stiff competition. Chris Jones missed the Kansas City game. And Houston, 
they're a damn septic tank of a football team. He got that last night. And well, it won't go down as <laughs> it won't go. That game won't be anything. He looks back at tape and goes, yeah, I remember that game. I had a great time. It's part of a rookie learning the ropes in the NFL. If I want to talk about two other performances that stood out, first of all, Stephon Diggs was uncoverable by that Tennessee secondary, even if Allen couldn't find him, right? If Allen could have found him every time he was open, he would have had more than 150 yards and multiple scores. That's how badly he was cooking that secondary. And it's telling that in an offense with so many miles to feed, to the point where he saw the most targets and wasn't even the leading receiver on the team for the night. That was Emmanuel Sanders, who was five catches, eight targets for 91 yards. He still managed to score a touchdown and put up one of his best totals of the season. It's incredible having a real alpha at the wide receiver position who just dominates games even when he's not putting up gaudy stat lines that last year we all kind of got used to. Chris, there was a stretch where Diggs was getting 10 to 14 targets a game and over 100 yards per game. Obviously, he was incredible. Obviously, he was going to come back to earth this year, right? Yeah, he should be. So to know that in a game like this, he's still out there working. He's still out there fighting. He hasn't quit on this football team the way you've seen in the past when attention gets directed from him. And this was something Jeff and I spent a lot of time talking about during the game last night. When Stephon Diggs, when things went south with him in Minnesota, a lot of it was because he knew he was the best player on that team in terms of offense. And yet they started using him more as a decoy. And they went to a run-heavy kind of a game script, and it just marginalized him. And his whole attitude became, why did I sign here if you're not going to use me? Well, now that he's here in but but here's the thing, Chris. Those are the problems of a losing football team. Now that he's here in Buffalo, he's playing with a quarterback in Josh Allen who you can tell they have not just an on-field chemistry, but an actual personal chemistry. And in that way, he's okay with sitting on his hands and saying, listen, I don't have to be the guy. I just want to be a guy. I'll be the best damn guy you have on the field, but I want to be one of them. That's fine. My ego will allow me to take a step back because I love that quarterback. I love this team. I love this coach. Chris, think think back. Who is it who went and... When, when the Vikings got blown out by the Eagles... After the, uh, what would they call that? The uh, Minnesota Miracle? The catch Stephon Diggs had to beat the New Orleans Orleans Saints a couple years ago? Yeah. And then they go to the the NFC Championship game. They get destroyed by the Eagles. He just slinks off the field. They lose in the AFC title game to the Kansas City Chiefs last year. And he's inconsolable. He's an emotional dude. He's out there just watching the Chiefs celebrating. The head coach comes and gets him. And you see, you get to watch them have a real moment, like, an, like a human moment between two dudes, just it's emotion, it's raw. Between this quarterback and this coach, Stephon, this is the perfect place for Stefan Diggs. And it's incredible that we get to watch him week in and week out play for this football team. I, uh, Chris, I was too young to appreciate Andre Reid. I can watch it now and go back and see the highlights and know how good he was. To see James Lofton go play. 
Don Beebe. I can appreciate that in hindsight. We haven't ever had a wide receiver like Stephon Diggs. Not molds? Not not in my adult lifetime. That sounds like a buy a beer. All right. I can see that. This is incredible to watch. It's, it's incredible to see, and it's incredible to watch. And I think that, again, we have gotten spoiled to a certain degree. That We just assume that this is like, hey, it's inevitable. It's Stephon Diggs. He's going to be great. Yeah, but he's so great when you watch him play. And last night was another one of those performances, even if he didn't have the stat line to back it up. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash rockpile today to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then the other guy is our hero of the week. And that's quarterback Josh Allen. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Chris, the dude's a mule. Allen's amazing. He single-handedly kept us in this game down the stretch. 
I don't think anybody can doubt his talent or question how much he wants to win at this point. He's literally doing cartwheels out there, just getting wrecked, trying to get first downs because he wants to win more than he wants to be able to walk tomorrow. Love of the game. That like that was it uh, the play to get to fourth and one. We tried to die for it. Yeah. That could like Dude. That's asking like that could be a huge injury for your quarterback to run and dive, but it's terrifying, but he wants it. But it's terrifying, but I can't begrudge him because he wants it that badly. Exactly. Now, you heard it in the opening to the show, Sean McDermott talking about that, just, just the decision. Now, Chris, in real time, you weren't there. I saw it at work. I was fucking livid. I was inconsolable after that game. Yeah, because I thought, I thought that the Buffalo Bills should have kicked a field goal, should have kicked the field goal. No. Because here's the thing. 100% wrong. Okay. Go for it is the way to go. Okay. Let me speak my piece. All right. You know, how, how, do, how do the millennials say it? Let me speak my truth. Um, <laughs> God, I can't believe it. All right. I hate fucking people. So, one of the things you hear in basketball all the time with great teams or hockey, great teams, they go, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time. Right? Heard that before. Okay. The Buffalo Bills ran out of time in this game. They're clearly the better offense. Correct. You gave the other you gave your opponent a couple short fucking fields to work with and they scored. Good for them. You capitalized on what you had to. You made some splash plays when you had to. You were adaptable in game when you had to be. And yet at the end you're right there. And you're still the most threatening offense on the field. To me, that's an opportunity for you to extend the game and say, listen, keep it up for how much longer can you outplay us for? Because I have a feeling that we can. I think our coaches are good. I think our players are good. I think we're better than you. And if you just give me a little more time, I can outplay you. And I'll make a play or two, doesn't matter what it is, that will inevitably tip things in my favor. The Bills opted not to go that route. Instead, they made a move that makes, and you heard him say it, hey, we, our defense was hemorrhaging yards, we were, blah, blah, blah. that sounds like a scared play call to me. But I, I'm not the one with the clipboard. I'm not the one with the headset. I don't get to make those calls. I just have to sit here and fucking deal with the fallout of it. So I'm livid. I'm livid, Chris, to a point where when that game ends, I can't just go to bed. Now everybody's leaving my house. You've, you've done that walk. The yeah, walk out of my house I where have. I'm just, you can hear me raging as you're leaving. As you're walking down the sidewalk, like walking down my walkway, down to the street, across the sidewalk, you can still hear me inside the house. That was me last night. Yeah, well, I got to be up all night. So throughout the night, like we have some group uh, group conversations on uh, Facebook and like just throughout the middle of the night, you're like chiming in. I see you like tweeting. And I'm like, dude, take a nap. Yeah. Take a nap. Chris, you're going now, going you're, for it was the absolute right call, and you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. My I'm going to start. I'm going to tweet it out that because the Twitter handle is tied to my email, you couldn't even change the password and lock me out. Like, <laughs> I could. Yeah, that was when you do a password reset, or even if it'll let you do it on the website, then you would just get an email like, oh, hey, your password's been changed. And then you would just go in and change it again. 
It's like I couldn't even I couldn't even lock you out. I was surprised to hear that you weren't for going for it on fourth and one. I'm probably gonna have to start calling you Drew Marone. Oh, that that, that hurts. Oh, that balloon eating son of a bitch. My my <laughs> only thing is in the context of the game, going for it on fourth and one. Are you trusting Allen to get that fourth and one? And if you say kick the field goal, then that means you're trusting our defense, which has not been good throughout the whole game, to make a stop. Because what if they win the, the toss and they just march right down and get a touchdown? Game's over. Go but at least you had a. But at least you tried. I would have. I would give him a chance. Go for it. Okay. That, so now that you know where my head's at, and you know, Chris, I mean, you know me. I'm not a reasonable person. No, you're not. And once I get an idea in my head, it's hard to talk me off that ledge. The reason Josh Allen, okay, after the game, despite the failed play, despite everything that goes wrong, Josh Allen comes out and thanks Sean McDermott, who, in a booze-soaked Twitter outburst, I declared owed us an apology for that decision to go for it, which, at that point, you all could have tried to argue with me until the sun exploded and just killed us all. I was never going to concede that it wasn't buffoonery. He thanked our coach for giving him the opportunity to try and win it and for having faith in what he's capable of. How can I be mad about that? How can I? Like, now I have to sit here and go, how can I be angry about the call when the guy who got thrown into it clearly relishes the opportunity and what that signifies between him and his head coach? That's my quarterback. And I don't care if I have to sit here and cry like T.O. at the podium to get my point across. Josh Allen brought me around on this point. I now see things the other way. Chris, you can attest to this. Someone convinced me to change my opinion. How? Tell me that isn't more impressive than a decade and a half of Bills quarterbacks not throwing a 300-yard game. It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. (laughs) It's very rare. And in that way, Josh Allen's the hero of the game. Although I do have to give an honorable mention to Rock Sports Network host Ryan Lasel. Um, he's a hero simply by nature of the fact that he, or by virtue of the fact that he Was stole. he just direct messaging you? Well, no. Trying to keep you in check? No, 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 no. Is he smarter than you? No, he's at a conference right now, right? Oh. Oh, no. He's, he's out of town for work. So this is where he had a problem not being able to fly first class. Yes. Because you know how he feels about the pores. He, he, he needs a curtain between him and people who uh, make less than $20 an hour. So, <laughs> But so, with this in mind, it's 3 a.m. Now, I'm up trying to burn off all this anger. I'm, re- I'm literally watching this whole recent, like this whole season of The Walking Dead. I watched it last night. Yeah, I watched like six episodes of it. At 3 a.m., he's on the left coast. Messages start coming in from Ryan. No idea how I got here. Went party hopping. Just walking into random parties being thrown. I'm on the USS Midway and Pitbull is performing. And I'm confused as to how this happened. And now there are fireworks. So I'm not sure what to be most confused about. Pitbull, which he misspelled three different times. It's like you spelling hockey player names. Yes. The USS Midway or fireworks on a Monday night. <laughs> Chris, did is he or 
or is he not now the most interesting man in the world? Yeah. I, I just, I, I can't Was wait. he in L.A.? Where, like, where, what, like... I have no idea. Just on the left coast. On the left coast somewhere. And now I'm going to have to circle back with him and find out. It's going to be hilarious. I can't wait for it. And that brings me to this week's Zero. And that's offensive coordinator Brian Dable. Fucking embarrassing! Now, it, it, it amazes me that we're... Let me look at this. We're probably a little over a half hour into the podcast, and... You don't have Andre Smith in this slot is beyond me. No, no, no. He see because if I put you as the zero, it means that I think he did a bad job. I don't speak that guy's name because to me he's not a football player. He had a rough night on he's special a teams. Man. He's a con man who has found a way to fool our football team into cutting him a paycheck. Cost us seven points. The dude can get wrecked. I don't give a shit about him or what happens to him moving forward. He's dead to me. Brian Dable. Now, I've already complained about the lack of rushing success, and I kind of painted a picture as to how that's problematic for a lot of our drives. Just the way it hurt momentum for us. But there's a pair of other things that I'd like to park at this guy's doorstep from last night. First of all, let's talk about that ill-fated play, right? The ill-fated fourth down conversion that wasn't. Where Allen slipped. You literally tried that same play twice earlier in the game, and it didn't fucking work. You have nothing. You're you not- have nothing for short yardage other than Josh Allen off left tackle. You know, Justin Simmons, the most violent guy on their defensive line, who just stonewalls your left tackle. There's you're, no hope of movement forward. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Allen slipped, and that's why the play didn't work. No, no. Simmons but, had nothing to do with that stop. Okay, but it was why Allen not slipped. run a legitimate play? Why not trust that Zach Moss can get you a yard? You mean get cute? Oh, my God. It was. It's a cute play. This is what you did. You ran a quarterback what? sneak off left tackle. It's one of the dumbest things that, I could, that you could have called in that moment. What did, did you want him to run that fourth down play they ran against Pittsburgh that got stuffed at midfield? I would have taken that because at least it was trying. At least you were trying to put some effort, some creativity. You were trying to do something differently. It just... Uh. It's amazing that you tweeted out uh, getting cute, but then a quarterback sneak is considered getting cute. Yes, when it's failed twice. The same play has failed you twice throughout the course of the game. So let's, we'll try to sneak it by him one more time. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the kid. You ever see that where, like, the, the, the bigger person's holding the smaller person back by their forehead? And then they put their hand down, and the little guy goes, yeah, I already won't see it coming, and you circle back again, and you get your hand, you just get slapped down again. Yeah, you can do it across zip codes with your arm. Damn straight I can. <laughs> it's enraging to me that he didn't have a better play call for what was the most pivotal play of the entire fucking game. You have to come up with some creativity, man. You have to have it. I, I like the Blake call. Keep it basic. Just also. A- Allen slipped. Okay. So let's talk about the bigger issue here. Red zone inefficiency. That can't continue. You had a first and goal on two occasions that culminated in only six points, which is something that enrages me when you consider that was the margin of the fucking game. Chris, if one of those field goals that we settled for ends up in the end zone, whole different ballgame. You had it first and goal. How do you not find a way in there? 
The Bills, for all their weapons, are one of the league's worst teams at converting inside the opponent's 20. That seems bizarre until you take a look at where our talents lie and what our team is. Just physical makeup, philosophically. You've got Diggs and Sanders, both guys who can stretch the field, who can make plays 10 to 15 yards downfield, maybe even more than that. You've got Beasley and Knox. They both work the seams and the soft spots in the zones that Diggs and Sanders clear out. You've got McKenzie, who's a gadget player who kind of struggles to get open downfield due to his size. We can't run the football well. We've already established that. But you got to make cookies with the ingredients you have. Chris, your famous analogy, right? Correct. Even if that means throwing in some raisins instead of chocolate chips just to give things some flavor, which, here's a PSA for all of you. If you ever put raisins in my cookie and try to pass it off like a chocolate chip, I'll bite your nose. <laughs> I will react with open hostility. Crisp <laughs> uh, raisins and cookies. It might be the worst thing, right? Mm. What are raisins good for? Uh, oatmeal raisin cookie? You don't like oatmeal raisin cookies? I don't like oatmeal. I don't like raisins. Oh, tell me you're an oatmeal. Ra- do, I do you? like oatmeal. I like oatmeal raisin cookies. What are you, 80? What do you crochet too? I don't have any crochet. <laughs> you you crochet while you eat your oatmeal raisin cookie and watch Matlock. Jesus I'm gonna Christ. I'm gonna get it on. I'm gonna get on it right now. I'm gonna tweet at Ryan Sullivan. Get the types of cookie power rankings. Oh my god! I'm sure it'll be a, just an absolute debacle the way every single one of his other power rankings is. Last night, what we watched. <sighs> When the field got condensed inside the 30, the DBs from Tennessee were able to play more physically with our wide receivers. And you look at our wide, that wide receiver group that I just read off to you. None of them are physical guys. I mean, Diggs plays with some physicality, but outside of him, it's just, hey, we're savvy. We know a little route running. We can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They, you, they no longer have the fear of getting burned deep, so they start to play with a little more chutzpah. And the result was that no one was getting open. There was a play that they showed on the Monday Night Telecast. They circled four guys, and they go, listen, every single Bills wide receiver is covered. Allen's in the shotgun. He inevitably just runs and then spikes the ball. And then they kick a field goal. What's frustrating to me is when you look at the red zone targets for this team so far, Diggs is leading the team with seven. Beasley has six. Sanders has five. Those are three players under six foot two that you're throwing to in the tightest of coverage situations. Meanwhile, Gabe Davis, the guy who had seven touchdowns last year for you as a rookie, has just 10 targets the entire season, despite him being the only wide receiver on the roster who presents this size and catch radius mismatch. Something that would give you a clear advantage against linebackers and safeties in the red zone. And Knox and Sweeney? They're not even, I know people are like, oh, well, Dawson Knox is big, too. They've been marginalized, too. They haven't seen any attention. Sweeney's touchdown catch last night was the, it's only the second target to a tight end on the Bills roster in the red zone. That's ridiculous. And for fuck's sake, you have, you have a speed back on the roster. I know the Pittsburgh game didn't go well, Chris. I know you like to throw that in my face. But if you're not going to be creative down near the goal line, at least be fast and try to beat somebody to a far pylon. This is a facet of our game 
that has to improve. Game planning, personnel usage, all of it has to change. And it's a big reason that we lost last night's game. That falls squarely in Ryan Dable's lap, and he has to get it figured out. There's no more bullshit, no more excuses. Final thoughts, Chris. How do you feel walking out of this one? It's a tough loss. Tennessee's got all the pieces to play with us. They got Derrick Henry, which he's one of a kind back in the in the in the league. But I chalk this up to you know Josh Allen just didn't get it done on fourth and one. Slips and falls forward and gets no yards. And then also Andre Smith and that bullshit holding call. I mean, play better. He took seven points off the board. That could have been the difference. For me, Chris, the Bills are now 4-2 and two and are once again headed into their bye week on the tails of a loss that leaves us all, players and fans alike, with this bitter taste of Bud Light Chilada in our mouths. We dropped a game to a conference opponent who, a lot like the Bills, already looked to be clear favorites to take their division. And I think what's more concerning to me today is that while the Bills, by virtue of their opponent's current win-loss record, have the league's easiest remaining schedule, the Titans are second right behind us. This loss is one of those things that, unless all of last night's injuries, some of which I may or may not have had some commentary for, the Tennessee sustained. You know, Luan getting carted off, Caleb Fairley tearing his ACL, Cameron Batson tearing his ACL, uh, cornerback Johnson hurts his ankle, Julio Jones with a hamstring. I mean, these are all significant injuries for guys who are going to miss time. Unless they all snowball and derail them a little bit over the next few weeks, this game could look a lot bigger two months from now when we're looking at the conference seeding and things like home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And that's the rub, and there's no other way to polish that turd. And it's not a new thing. I think that's that's the hardest part for me to swallow about this. Matt Perino over at New York Upstate. He tweets out today, since 2000, the Bills have lost 18 games leading into their bye week. Of the 22 they've played in the entire time, from 2000 till 2012, Buffalo lost 13 in a row before the bye. The Bills are 2-3 and three before the bye under Sean McDermott. That's crazy! How are you losing that many games before you go on vacation? Like, what... Chris, is this a problem? No, it's not a problem. You're over th- you're overthinking it. I mean, I know it's one of those weird statistical things that you see and you say, yeah, maybe it's a meaningless stat. Eh, maybe you're right. I mean, there were there were, the last two were losses on the last second plays, right? The Hopkins just miracle touchdown that NFL Network kept shoving down our throats all all of last year, and now this one. Just a failed fourth down conversion on what I think is one of the worst conceived plays possible. But as a fan, it's really starting to bum me the fuck out. If there's a silver lining, the Bills are 4-0 off the bye under Sean McDermott. So that's something, right? Yeah, what did we do last year after the bye? Can you remind me? Oh, yeah. We didn't lose again until the... Uh, the AFC title game. Yeah, okay. So now as I sit here today, realizing that I now have to sit, I I, I have to stay here with the stink of this Bill's loss on me. Kind of like the guy who microwaves fish at the office for lunch. I got 11 whole days where this is just going to linger in the air. 
and it's going to piss me the fuck off. But there's some positives and some negatives that I think we all need to take stock of as we move forward. Chris, first, the bad news. The worst. The Bills are 0-2 this season when Allen is forced to throw the ball more than 45 times. That seems crazy considering how good he is at it. But them's the facts. When the Bills don't play a balanced brand of football, it's, it seems to be a byproduct of poor execution and a strong opponent defensive game plan, as well as them having the horses to bottle up our offensive line and our running backs, which makes our offense just completely one-dimensional. And that offensive line point, I think, might be the crux of this entire problem. We as a football team really have a hard time with physicality. The Steelers were able to control our offensive line for most of week one's contest, and it's a big part of the reason we lost. And last night, the Titans were playing with a lot more sandpaper than we've seen from them between Jeffrey Simmons and Bud Dupree. I mean, they dictated the pace of play to our offense in terms of what we were able to execute on the ground. It made our offense completely one-dimensional. And that's where it kills you when you get down in the red zone because you can't run the football. The other team is just punching you in the face over and over and over again as you're snapping the ball. You can't you can't get away with a lot of the things you do when you're throwing it from 40 yards out. <sighs> We're six weeks into the season, and at this point, I don't know if there's a fix coming beyond the shuffling that they've already done. And that's concerning to me because the same way the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl to Tampa last year, just getting out-muscled in the trenches and in most facets of the game and just being unable to finesse their way on offense or defense, they just I will not accept that being the same fate of the Buffalo Bills this season. But at the same time, you're seeing it happen. It... We're staring down the barrel of that same fate. Tennessee, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, even to a lesser degree, teams like Indian New England. Those two teams don't have great records, but they're all physical football teams. They get downhill on you. They like to try imposing their will. I mean, look no farther than Baltimore. Chris, they absolutely dismantled the Chargers this last weekend. They held the Chargers. Everyone's everyone's all over Herbert. Is the next big thing in the NFL? He is. They held their team to 208 total yards because they're a physical football team. They punch you in the mouth on offense. They punch you in the mouth on defense. And you have to hope you can hang. And so far, teams have struggled and the Bills have struggled. (sighs) Some of these are teams that we're going to see in the playoffs. We are running out of time to figure out how to avoid falling to a similar fate. But there is some good news. April, I know all this, okay? But I do like hearing it, so go on. The good news is the Bills don't play any of those teams today. Or tomorrow. Or even the day after that. The Bills also play really, really well coming out of the bye. The Bills' upcoming opponents are a combined 3-14. and 14. And everything we want to accomplish this season is still out there in front of us for the taking. Even if we did make it look slightly more difficult than it could have been. There's time to work the kinks out of this thing. And with enough moosehead lager, eventually the sting of this loss is going to fade and we're all going to move on. It's like uh, Team Captain Reed Ferguson always says. 
24-hour rule. And considering that that leaves me another few, I'm going to wallow in this over a six-pack for just a little bit longer. And then, like the Buffalo Bills, I'm going to rise and fight again. You know? Lay yeah. me down, my merry men. <laughs> Before we do get out of here, Ryan, quickly... For whatever reason, I think he screenshots his rankings and just has a folder because he was so quick to reply and put a screenshot in. So he has to screenshot all of his rankings and just save them in a file to look through them. But we'll run down from 10 to 1. 10 is a spritz. I don't know what kind of cookie that is. 9, snickerdoodles. 8, gingerbread. 7, shortbread. 6, chocolate chip. Five, Girl Scout Samoas. Four, white chocolate chip. Three, the cookies they have on Delta flights. Two, sugar. And number one, oatmeal raisin. Okay. Folks, Bud Light and Ryan Sullivan should both be brought up on war crime. Like, a war I want a tribunal put together to put... Chris, this is treason. It's got to be something, right? There's got to be something that we can put them both in the who's gal for a long fucking time. That list is ridiculous. Uh, Snickerdoodle behind shortbread? I'm sorry, the cookie with no flavor? Oatmeal raisin is number one over a chocolate chip? I mean, I, I mean, Chris, you saw the lamps in his apartment. The fact that he dresses like... Uh, he dresses like... Uh, what's his face from... La, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. yeah, that's how that's how Ryan dresses all of the time. Well, at least he didn't have a biscotti on here. No, but that was it—the airline cookie, Bis- biscotti, the biscoff, the biscoff cookie that they give you no. on the airplane. They Those are get, actually pretty. I good. don't think they give you biscotti on the airplane. Biscotti. I'm not talking about cookies. This is Bis- ridiculous. He put he put oatmeal raisin yeah. number one. He's public enemy number yeah. one. Biscottis are the worst cookie. They taste like cement. We need to get this guy and put him in prison. He needs to be in prison right next to Bud Light, right next to Jeff Fisher. I've had it. All I know is that things for the Buffalo Bills are looking up. We have time to fix these things. And I ultimately, Chris, it doesn't rock the boat the way I think in seasons past it might. Because I know what this team is capable of. Now, there's a reason I feel that way. And if you guys are tired of hearing flack and shit talk from other fan bases about whether or not the Bills are quote-unquote overrated... Instead of a preview show this week, since we're heading to the bye, okay, I, I, I asked this question. I mean, we know the Bills are good, but just how good? When you consider that the last two iterations of this roster are both playoff caliber and also different versions of good, we've, I have put together statistics and a numbers-heavy look at what I'm calling an attempt to quantify what sets this team apart from the last two Bills rosters to both make the postseason and why this one might just be the one that makes good on their Super Bowl promise. We've also got the AFC East Roundup podcast that's going to drop on Thursday evening. It's a week full of Bills podcasts. I know there's a bye week coming up, but don't tune out on us yet. Chris... This has been fun. It's been fun recording in our new space, which I can't wait to show our guests when it's our listeners when it's finished. Yeah, oh, this is going to be phenomenal, guys. There's an energy in this room. I can't I can't contain myself. It's I feel like a kid at Christmas. This is the best. Huge shout out to Blue Wire for hooking us up with all of this shit. I can't wait to show it to all of you when it's done. But for tonight, we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. 
And this has been your Rock Pile Report.